Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Webby Podcast, where we share the stories of the internet in more than five-word speeches. Monkey covering eyes emoji. Thanks. The internet must be stopped. So much better than finals. Teenage girls are the future. Thank you. Here's your host, Webby's executive director, David Michelle Davies. She ascended to fame as a fashion blogger, then launched her own magazine for teenage girls, which quickly gained a huge following. In addition to running her publication and writing, she also finds time to act on Broadway and on camera. Impressive, right? Imagine doing all that by the time you hit your 21st birthday. That, in a nutshell, is the story behind our guest for this episode, writer, actress, and editor-in-chief of Rookie Magazine, Tavi Gevinson. As Rookie enters its sixth year, I chatted with Tavi about how the magazine has changed in the age of social media, how she's managed to build a thriving online community, her acting career, and much more. Tavi Gevinson, by my count, you founded Rookie Magazine six years ago? Yeah, just about. Tell me a bit about the journey and where is Rookie Magazine today? Well, I started Rookie a few years after starting a fashion blog that I wrote starting in middle school. And then as I entered high school, I found old issues of Sassy from the late 80s and early 90s, started by, well, I don't know that she started it, but she was the editor-in-chief, Jane Pratt. And I was just amazed at how even though it was from, you know, it was for a different generation of, you know, they talked about different bands than maybe people at my school were. It felt like all of the advice and all of the addressing teen issues um, was very honest. And I didn't really feel like I had that in any mainstream teen publication that was available to me. Um, This would have been in 2010 or so. And I started kind of planting seeds and writing on my blog and about what like a sassy 2.0 would look like. Um, I gave a talk at this conference, Idea City in Toronto, that was not even like, you know, directly like, what would a sassy now look like? But more, um, what can we learn going back from this publication? Like what about the kind of philosophy of sassy could actually help me in my life today? Um, and you know, eventually it's like the benefit of having a model like that to go out to, uh, of having something like that to model something new after is that you also uh, find ways to differentiate yourself from it. But it really started with that discovery. And then enough people kind of wrote it. My blog had a large readership and um, a lot of people wrote in and said like, well, let me know if you do this. And Jane Pratt reached out to me and was like, yes, I'd like to help you. And eventually um, I was in touch with enough people where uh, it was now 
other people's jobs and um, we found people who could design and code the site. And uh, then we had just a large pool of contributors who had read my blog or who I was a fan of from afar. And I'd ask them to write or illustrate or take photos for us. And I'm now 21. I started it when I was a sophomore in high school when I was 15. And at that point, Sassy was had ceased publication, yes. right? Yeah. Um, and had also undergone, um, at some point in the 90s, was sold to a different publisher. And I remember reading about or talking to girls who read it at that time, um, this really creepy feeling of, you know, like getting the new sassy in the mail and it just being like a weird alternate reality. What was it about the early editions that you really, you know, that spoke to you or what What was it? What was so different about those than, say, the regular magazines that were out there, those mainstream magazines that didn't seem like they were for you at the time? Well, I think a lot about something um, George Saunders uh, wrote in his essay about media, The Brain Dead Megaphone just from like 10 years ago, but is only more relevant, unfortunately. But he says that we've stopped asking publications, tell us the truth. And we've started asking, tell us the truth while still making as much money as possible. And I was just tired of um, seeing messages that were about self-improvement, but in really superficial ways, getting guys to like you, assuming that you're even straight. Um, And... Also, by this point, I mean, my fashion blog had gotten a lot of attention and I'd been to, like, the innermost room. Like, I'd been to the most exclusive, elitist parties. It was, you know, like, people took me under their wing. I was, I saw what, you know, was supposed to be, it was like meeting the Wizard of Oz. And then I started high school and I was like, oh, that one girl in my art class is way cooler than, you know, that um, fashion editor or whatever. So your reaction to being like in the most exclusive room with the Wizard of Oz was not, I want to be in here all the time. This is the best thing ever. It was. No, it was like, I want to go home. (laughs) And also, I mean, and that's a real gift, right? Because otherwise, you know, I could easily imagine looking for that my whole life. I was talking about Rookie with Miranda July recently, who's been a really big supporter from the beginning. And she was like, the thing I like about it is that it doesn't, make the reader feel like real life is happening elsewhere. It's not like real life is happening at this party in New York or or what have you, and you in your room in a suburb or in an apartment or in your teenage bedroom or in your classroom in high school, that's not real life yet. Like your life hasn't started yet. I actually think there's a great luxury to being a teenager and having time, if you do, if you don't have you know, abnormal responsibilities to really self-reflect. And I think that's why teenagers tend to be uh, real, like really interesting people to work with and who I now, as someone who lives a very adult life, really love working with. And I and continue to be like interested in editing and and nurturing as, as artists. Um, so yeah, that, I mean, that period of time in a person's life is just really interesting to me. And And it breaks my heart kind of when I see um, what media and social media can be for so many teenagers. And I just want to be like, no, 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 you're already cool. Like you're already smart enough, pretty enough, funny enough. You don't – there's nothing going on here that you should envy. And so you brought that perspective with you as you founded and started – 
rookie magazine and that, you know, it must have imprinted the way you actually organize the company too, right? Yeah. I was 14, 15, so I wasn't like realistic (laughs) in how I thought about anything. And, you know, my parents were kind of like, well, this isn't our world, but you seem to be able to put your mind to something and get it done. So I just said on my blog, like, I'm starting a online magazine. You know, I thought like maybe I would just use Blogspot or something. Uh, It's going to be kind of like sassy. Send in your submissions if you're a writer, illustrator, photographer, and got 3,000 submissions. And I got an email from one woman who was like, I'm a fact checker at the New York Times, and I um, would gladly quit my job and um, work with you. That must have been amazing. Yeah. Oh, and she, I mean, her name's Anahita Lani, and I think just our kind of constant communication shaped so much of Rookie and the tone and how caring she was over our our contributors. And she was already in this world, so new people who could advise about other things. Uh, You know, I think the way you've outlined the editorial or sort of set up the editorial part of the site is really interesting. Uh, It's not like what you typically find in women's magazines. You have all the stories are organized by day and like fit into a theme. Mm -hmm. You choose themes per month. Um, what was the inspiration for doing that? And how do you, how does that drive your, your storytelling and your coverage? How do you think about that? I wanted it to be online because it would be accessible and free and our community could find each other more easily. And it's obviously cheaper than print, but I love magazines and have all, and have a now very large collection of them. And, you know, creatively that was exciting to me, um, to have some kind of, vision for each month collectively um, and not just sort of comment on current events or like I wanted to give our contributors prompts that would um, that would kind of spark ideas that would feel a little more timeless. So yeah, we have themes like this month is social studies, next month is origin story. And it always kind of starts with a mood board. Like I'll look at what I'm visually into at the moment or what feels different from the month before and, you know, collect references like film stills and paintings and, you know, things uh, from like artists I'm following on Instagram and uh, get input from our other editors. And then we'll write kind of some, you know, subjects that feel related to the idea and then ask our contributors for pitches that, you know, they thought of based on that. So, um, and you share all that stuff back with them as a way of driving their inspiration, getting them thinking about it. Yeah. And then we've put out four books called the Rookie Yearbooks because I was like, there is so much timeless content on our site that has really affected people. I mean, they've told us and I think our readers are the kinds of people who would want them in a book. So we published first with Drawn and Quarterly and then with uh, Razorbill at Penguin Random House what we call the rookie yearbooks and they're organized by month too. There's so much just like stuff and content on the internet. My interest was not especially in commenting on current events, although naturally, you know, those things work their way into uh, personal essays and articles. And um, it's not like rookie exists in a vacuum. Um, It's very much about what's happening in the real world, but I wanted us to be able to 
nurture young voices and not have to ask for like a take. I wanted to give them prompts that would spark something personal um, and that would have, you know, a kind of lasting quality. And also like rookies for teenagers, it's not for like maybe the same people who I see at stuff here in New York and like we're all, we've all read the same things that week. Like I don't, I never wanted it to feel um, insular, which is, you know, a pitfall of something being New York based. Um, but it's like what Miranda said, like I wanted our readers to feel like what was happening in their lives was real life. I'm clearly not the target reader as a older man, uh, but uh, <laughs> you know, I was looking at some of the stories from this, from just this past issue and uh, there was a photo essay, I think it was called Penelope and Thomas, I think. Um, Thomas and Penelope of mm-hmm. two young uh, children, three or four. And oh, yeah. First photo was, you know, the park that my kids used to play in. Oh, like, really? I saw it. <laughs> and I was like, I know that park. And That's then, so funny. Yeah. And then as I went through the essay, I mean, it was, it, it you know, my boys, you know, seven at the time, but he had a little girl that he played with and did all those things running around. It was, you know, so it was very uh, personal. Yeah. That story actually, when I was at the women's march, a girl came up to me and was like, I read Rookie and this is my friends and I made a zine and I gave her my email and she sent me her zine and I thought she was a really talented photographer and editor. So she and her friend, their zine is called Loser. <laughs> um, but they, so they did that photo essay. And yeah, that with this month's theme being social studies, I think I maybe said something in the email to contributors about like, huh, remember how nice it was when you were a kid and you like who you hung out with was just based on who you liked spending time with. And I think as you, I mean, it's particular to, the industry I work in, but there's some kind of like professional currency attached to basically everything if <laughs> you live in New York and work in uh, media or entertainment. So, um, but I think, I guess that the kind of hierarchies that emerge there, you know, there's some of that in high school, there's some of that in college too. And so Olivia and her friend Lucy were like, we just want to take pictures of these little kids we know. <laughs> um, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, thanks. How does Rookie Magazine interact with its audience in social media? And how do you approach that given that I would imagine, just trying to remember what it was like, yeah. that that has got to be like a really big thing for your audience, that their lives in social media and the way they're interacting with their friends, it has to be, a, am sure, a great and awful and yeah. so many different type of motion, emotional type of experience these days. Yeah, I think... I mean, my philosophy for using it and for rookies' use of it is that it's like a great way to direct people somewhere else where there's something a little more substantive or nuanced or complex. I think, um, you know, uh, I'm certainly not the first person to say this, but it's a scary time for uh, complex thought. And um, I... There are a lot of things about just personally, like me using social media and having it in my life that I don't like. And so I want it to be a place where people can discover something else that would enrich them in a real way. Um, So, I mean, we have, you know, that presence, but we also have – we also have a handful of writers who have written stories about – their issues with social media or I, I just think it's important to offer a kind of antidote to the m- mindless automatic consumption that 
we all fall into. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. Um, teenagers or adults. And I also try to remind our audience that this is one of this may be the first time that teenagers are creators of culture and not just consumers for a long time. I mean, for a long time, the teenager didn't even exist. And then the teenager became a new market and the teenager became someone whose relationship to society is purely consumptive. Um, You don't have, you can't vote and your parents, most of the time, your parents can like just, you know, tell you exactly uh, what to do. Um, and you know, for someone like me, that wasn't a problem, but for some kids it is. And we just want them to remember that the internet is a place where they can take control of their own narratives. Um, and it can be any on social media too. Like it's a way to be creative, to share your creativity, to find a community. I hear way too often from People who are just like, how do I figure out my relationship to social media? Scrolling through Instagram just makes me hate myself. And we want to show all the ways that it's a tool. It should serve you. You shouldn't feel like, you know, uh, you serve it or you have to change yourself or what you look like or what your life is to look cool on Instagram. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I – it's a great place for our readers to connect and that's one of the – you know, main reasons why I wanted us to be online uh, as a publication to begin with. But I feel that, you know, we are a small team and we've definitely gotten, you know, you at times when we've done like partnerships or collaborations with places that are owned by larger companies, we get a lot of feedback about like, you know, how useful it would be if we inundated people more <laughs> with our social posts. And, uh, a useful, like the companies tell you that they want you to use more of your social yeah. footprint to sort of pu- pu- promote the, the collaborations. Which, like, like makes sense. Sure. Like, of course, I want people to see what we're doing, but we're such a small team and I'm not really willing to compromise my own, uh, like mental stability, <laughs> um, to just be, like a publicist 24-7. I mean, that's one of the hardest things about having a job that's technically online is that you can do it at any time. And I have, you know, had the experience of like uh, extreme guilt if I'm not working all the time. And I don't want that to be my life. 
And it's something I've had to work out uh, for myself because Rookie started as a passion project and I did it after school and I didn't have hours. I just like did it whenever I could and I loved it. And now, um, you know, it's my full-time job and I live in New York and it's up to me to create a kind of separation. Has the growth of the sort of overall social world like on the internet helped connect the Rookie Magazine community and like helped you find more contributors and because I oh I see, yeah there's sort of like if I think about it there's there's like this side which is you probably can connect and see people's Instagram feeds and see their originality and their mm-hmm. art and so in so many ways that probably were much more difficult even like five or six years ago on the other hand some of the themes you were talking about earlier and some of the magazines that you didn't like as a teenager mm-hmm. there's some of those negative themes in social media and that you know, sort of yeah. like this idea of like looking at Instagram and hating yourself is sort of one of those. And so these sort of like attention, but right. how does it, you know, talk about where your the rookie community is there and how you, how you find them and like what, what it does for them? Yeah. I mean, it's crazy to think that I at one time wrote on my blog, I'm starting rookie, send an email me your submissions. Like that feels weirdly antiquated now. Um, even the way people decide what to read is so different now. Like, you know, going to your favorite website every day versus just seeing what comes to you through uh, Twitter or Apple News or what have you. Um, And it is, I mean, I didn't have Instagram until I was 16. Uh, Rookie had already started. I think I had just gotten an iPhone. And now our readers, you know, a lot who are more my age and would now be in college or older uh, have, grown up with us and they still find rookie relevant to their lives. But then there's this younger generation who've had Instagram since they were like 10. Do you think media has gotten better? Do you think it's like more responsible than it was before or no? I mean, look at our president. <laughs> like, I know there were a lot of wrong turns. Um, I think, uh, and I think some of those happened in the kind of um, watering down of feminism for the masses. Um I don't know. There's a, I, I'm thinking about this all the time. I'm like trying to see where we can be better. I'm trying to see where just I as an individual consumer can be better. Um, when Rookie started, I remember feeling like, you know, I, again, I was like 15 and angsty and I was like, okay, well there were, I was obsessed with this John Waters interview where he was like, there were punks and beatniks and hippies. And what is there now? Like, Find the, you know, create the counterculture. But, and I was upset, you know, I had like musically and in terms of my personal style and movies, I like, like I leaned in that uh, direction. Um, But I also saw that becoming like less and less, like the idea of something being mainstream or alternative became less and less meaningful because everything's become so blended. Yeah. And like, and also a counterculture comes out of a need to counter what is mainstream. And I was like, what if instead the mainstream can just suck less? And then the internet created all of these micro communities that kind of made all of it irrelevant. But it's crazy how quickly things have changed and how like I didn't go to college. I moved here right after high school. And when I talked to my friends who are in college, I'm like, wow, the – or teachers who teach at the high school I went to – it's like the kinds of conversations that are happening around um, social justice or pop culture, like, are 
already so different than they were when I was there. And that was not that long ago. I mean, just as you look at your own company, sort of like in the Mm -hmm. next couple of years, what do you think are the big changes that you're going to have to navigate for Rookie? I mean, the good thing, if there is one about uh, times of crisis, is that it really makes you take stock and reevaluate, both for me personally, like how I want to spend my time, but also uh, what Rookie can do now, like what makes the best use of our people's gifts. Um, and, you know, I think about what our readers have always come to us for and what's made so many of them so loyal all these years, even if they've aged out of the demographic. And, you know, as a business owner, you have to do a lot of (laughs) little meaningless things that will hopefully add up to some kind of financial stability. And right now I'm like, oh man, I really just want to like work one-on-one with writers on making, on getting them published, like on getting them book deals. Like I just, I want, I, we started a podcast um, produced and distributed by MTV. And I love that because you can't skim, a podcast isn't like an article you can, you can just skim and then be like, oh, I read that. And this was my takeaway. And here's my opinion on it. Like you have to actually listen to it and invest your time. Uh, And I guess, um, I mean, there are a few that keep doing the things that make that response possible. How has the podcast been? Oh, it's fun. I, um, even yesterday I interviewed, um, Zoe Kazan and Emily V. Gordon. So Zoe's in this new movie, The Big Sick, um, that Emily co-wrote with her husband, Kumail Nanjiani. Zoe plays Emily. Kumail plays himself. Emily's written for Rookie for years. That's the other thing is that there are our people are always just going off and doing amazing things. Um, or people who do amazing things say, rookie inspired me. Um, but, uh, like I interviewed them and I, I just, they had so many great things to say. And I was just like, man, I'm so lucky that part of my job is just learning from people and, you know, editing it and listening back to it. And that's kind of a way of like, right, of taking notes and like really getting it in your brain and synthesizing the information. And something can happen in a conversation that's meant to be heard that can't totally happen in like long form writing. And and so I'm just enjoying that aspect of it. Yeah, I have this theory that part of the reason that people are gravitating to podcasts so much these mm-hmm. days is because they're like unlinkable in a way or that the the words mm. inside of them are kind of unlinkable. Like right. you can't, I mean, you can, there's some like players out there that like just catch the one minute quote or something like that, but people can talk and really kind of get deep on things and it's really hard to like pull out the like pull quote yeah. That's like nine words and be like, they said this and then right. get into a huge fight on the internet about it. Like you yeah. actually have to like download the thing and sit there and listen to it. And like, then you're on your iPhone and then you'd have to go like tweet about it to really be, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that whole back and forth. It's hard to do and I'm sure it happens, but it's harder. So people like feel more comfortable talking and yeah, it's sort of a antidote to, not that I don't like Twitter because I love Twitter, but it's sort of like the the antidote to Twitter in a way. Yeah, and I just, I tend to like things that are kind of, I like conversations that wander off and get discursive and, you know, giving people a place where, like Emily and Zoe right now are probably repeating themselves a lot because they're promoting a movie and, you know, naturally there are a few relevant questions to that and then a few relevant answers and I just liked being able to talk to them and 
let them go off in other directions. Yeah. You've mentioned you were an actor also. Mm-hmm. How does acting influence your writing and influence mm-hmm. your editing? Is that something that like has some interplay there? Or are they just totally different things? I guess it's all, it's sort of like there's a sliding scale of like um, being really zoomed in and being really zoomed out. I guess what I mean by that is like when I'm editing, I'm really zoomed out and taking a wide perspective and, you know, being very, uh, organizational and, you know, like if I'm literally line editing a piece of writing, um, it's, uh, it's not like it's not emotional, but it's really, um, it's about, you know, like creating a balance and creating a structure and a narrative. And, um, then on the total opposite end of the sliding scale with acting, Uh, I'm like fully zoomed in and not thinking about structure, narrative, things like that. You're just trying to be a real person who's experiencing life as it's unfolding in front of them. And then writing is probably somewhere in the middle. Like sometimes it feels more like um, alive the way acting does. And then sometimes it's more uh, like editing, (laughs) like uh, working towards a larger picture. I don't know if that makes sense, but it feels like they all have – uh, they're all holding places for these different levels of being in control or not. You said you were 11 when you? Well, I was 11 when I started my blog. I started Rookie when I was 15. Yeah. Now I'm 21. So, you know, you're a different person, I'm sure, obviously, mm-hmm. than when you were 15. Uh, how does the how does the act of being editor-in-chief of a site for young girls, how does that change as you get older? I mean, the point of Rookie isn't be young forever. Like, that's the point of a lot of other women's magazines. But uh, I think, you know, we've always had adult contributors who take a more, like, big sister or aunt kind of role. You have, like, the Ask the Groans. Yeah, Ask a Groan is a feature we have um, with famous adults. I think Rookie and its demographic are both defined by things other than age. Um, I mean, I personally look forward to, you know, getting older and hopefully smarter and my age being less of like my story. But with Rookie, I always go back to this thing uh, Kenneth Lonergan said about why he usually writes movies and plays about teenagers or young people. And he said a teenager, at least in a movie or a story, um, can be a really good metaphor for a half-formed person coping with the world. Yeah, And I, I mean, there are big differences already in what high school was like for me five years ago and what it's like for people now that like I was talking about you know my friends who are in college and how it or teachers I know at my old school and um how even the conversations in the classroom are have changed we've always had a lot of people say I'm not in your demographic but I love rookie it's helped me a lot um and I guess and you know these are not people saying like it really brought me back to high school, the glory years, made me really nostalgic. They're saying like, no, I still deal with stuff like that. And um, so, I, I mean, it's continued to be really relevant for me when I'm just reading Rookie. <laughs> like I said, there's always been this goal to create content that is more timeless and could even, you know, apply to a situation you find yourself in much later in life. So in that way, it feels like, I mean, there's no place I'd rather be writing for. Sounds like a, that's a great place to wrap up. Tavi Gevinson, I want to thank you for joining us on the Webby Podcast. Uh, congratulations you. on Rookie. Congratulations on the new podcast. 
We'll make sure we do like a plug and make sure everybody knows where to go listen to that. Great interviews. You just interviewed Lord. Yeah. Uh, and there's many others which you mentioned. So thank you so much. Thank you. A big thanks to Tavi for stopping by the studio to talk with us. If you're a teenager, you're probably familiar with Rookie. But even if your teenagers are behind you, definitely check it out. It's fun, smart, it's full of great writing on all kinds of topics. She's also got a great new podcast out featuring interviews with Lord, George Saunders, and Winona Ryder. Our editorial director is Nicole Ferraro, research and writing by Michael Charbonneau, production help this week from Sebastian Ade. music is Straight West by Casket Club. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher.